everyone. My name's Tony, and I am the Dungeon Master for D&D Raw. Hi, this is Bethany, and I play Belinda Walsingham in Serviceable Plots. Hey, this is Rachel, and I play Elaine Fox in Rumble Squad. Hi, this is Nick. I play Leuven Cromdell in Rumble Squad. Hi, this is Chris. I play Orc Fireforge in Rumble Squad. Don't forget, you can find D&D Raw on all of your favorite podcatchers. And if you want to message us directly, please follow us on Twitter at RulesIsWritten, or you can email me at dm at dndraw.com. Or feel free to join our Discord as well. We'll post a link in the description of this episode. And please, if you can, we'd love your support on Patreon at patreon.com slash dndraw. And uh, today we're doing our third mailbag episode. Uh, also, this kind of marks a major point for us as we are hitting 50,000 downloads. Yay! Yeah. Very exciting. Just for a brief reflection, I would say there's a point where we never thought this would happen, where we were like, if we ever get a thousand downloads, (laughs) because that means someone besides us and our families are listening, we will be so happy. (laughs) So I guess thank you to everyone who's listened. It really means a lot to us that you enjoy what we create. Because we work hard on it. So yeah, we are all going to Gen Con this year. So please feel free to find us, message us, meet up with us. We'd love to meet and chat with all of you. By the way, you mean find us like find us online. I don't recommend finding us just at Gen Con because it's no, that very would be big. Real hard. <laughs> there are a lot of people. Yeah. There are so many people. Yeah. Although if you do, you'll get a high five. <laughs> from, <Yes>. from Chris. <laughs> Maybe even multiple high fives. <laughs> well done. You have found D&D Raw. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have nothing to give you besides high fives so far, but still, high fives are pretty solid. Yeah, that is the loot we can give. <laughs> Lastly, wanted to give a special shout out to all of our patrons. So, thank you, a Linux fan, Death by Mage, Feral Joe, Grant Paul, Grimfuse, Jane, Jeremy, Larry, and Matt Fry for all of your support and for continuing to support us here at D&D World. We really do appreciate all the help you guys have given us. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I will say, in addition to the like download milestone, I'm so proud that we have only missed, I think, one week for uploading an episode in three years now. I think so. So, yay! We've been consistent. Yeah. Once we start pushing this out, we got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, we have a backlog of content. There's so many episodes that'll be ready to come out. So it's just a matter of editing them. <laughs> so I think that was everything we needed to go over from the the prep side. So now we can just answer questions. Yeah. So I know we were asked in our Discord. Do any of the cast identify as part of the LGBTQA plus community? Yeah, I, I think this is an important question because. Most, if not all of us, like to feel represented and like our loved ones to feel represented too. Uh, personally, I identify as a gay cis man. Um, and one thing I truly love about this community is that I get to watch it grow to include more representation of several different identities, such as trans folks, LGBTQA plus persons of color and women, just to name a few. Um, as the next generations grow up and find these hobbies that we enjoy, I'm, I'm hopeful that more and more people will be able to find inclusive players, groups, characters, and games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that, Nick. I know Rachel and I really enjoyed doing uh, Women in Tabletop Gaming Month this year, so it was a great way to talk with people with 
all sorts of different backgrounds and perspectives and life experiences, especially people with like who have been in the community for decades and decades, but are really much more visible now and are able to engage. And it overall is a safer space. Not perfect, <laughs> but <laughs> safer. Like safer. you said, the next generations, the new players coming in and just having it be something that's inclusive. Fewer people having to feel alone, like there's no one out there kind of like them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So uh, thank you, Nick, for answering that one. Kind of going on to another question that was specifically for Tony, but I think anyone can jump in on, was when the campaign ends, if there are parts of the story, plot, secrets, etc., that the PCs haven't picked up on or worked out, will you do a big reveal of everything that was happening in the world that was missed? There will be spoilers for up to episode 20. So if you have not listened to episode 20 of either Rumble Squad or Serviceable Plots, be warned. (laughs) I will say there's some implied judgment here of how well we're playing, but I also think it's totally fair because I don't know that we know what's going on. (laughs) I know that as a player, I want to know everything at the end. (laughs) At the end, yeah, yeah. One thing, I I debated that. I really did because I'm like, well, do I want to give away all the little secrets? Because some of it might be just like, yeah, you guys just didn't roll high enough on this one part to realize that one of the big bads was right nearby that you could have killed earlier. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, wait, I, I don't. That's not actually the case. Uh-huh. It's like just you remember a, that one uh, really insignificant thing that you just kind of glazed over? Yeah, that was crucial plot point. <laughs> yeah. I will say there are certain things that I've dropped that have been like little insignificant hints and clues throughout the campaign that have not been uh, pursued or picked up on yet. Well, that, that makes sense. And that's fine. I know you like to foreshadow and then later we look back and we go, Oh. Uh, <laughs> I can think of at least at least a few that looking back upon previous episodes released, uh, knowing what I do now, it's like, I see what you did there. Oh. Are there ones you can share, yeah. Nick? Assuming people yeah. have listened through episode 20. Yeah, there, there is the whole thing related to Biogosto and kind of just how a certain someone mentioned that they ran away from home as a child. And yeah. wow, that doesn't have any ties at all to the fairy no. tale. What? None? Not so ever? No? I dropped that and I was just like, no what? Okay, cool. I'm just gonna keep going Who's with this. Certain this is someone? fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> a certain uh, Evelios. Yeah, let's yes. say we're we're allowing spoilers for. <laughs> yeah, you could <can> say names. <laughs> Was I being mysterious, or did I just forget the character name in the moment? You'll never know. <laughs> Either could be possible. I was wondering. <laughs> it's not like sometimes people go. I reiterate what I learned from this moment all by myself. You're, you're talking about me. I understand. I'm guilty. <laughs> not just you. Not just you, to be fair. No. Some people who cannot defend themselves Some currently people. as well. It's Mike. <laughs> and Adam. It's Mike. It's Mike and, and Adam. And, and Adam. Nice. We both go, Once I... or twice, Adam's gone to me like, Tony, did I get this right about the conversation that Umbra had with me? Because I know we did that pri- like one-on-one quietly, but am I right? Did I get this wrong? I'm like, you forgot about this part. Do you want to mention this part? It's like, oh, yes, guys, I forgot to tell you. Also, there's this other thing. <laughs> guys, sorry, I was just suddenly struck by a flashback uh, dramatically uh, as you do. Umbra have. poked me in the head to remind me. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me back at Orithal. Do you remember how there was a crucial piece of information that only uh, Adam's character had, which was that we knew the there was some- The queen's in town the queen's with the t- family. Oh, yeah, we were trying right. to figure out what are the whispered ones up to? What's their plan? They're trying to do a coup. What's that about? And we're all like, sitting around going, well, if only we had an idea, if only there were any information. Well, you hadn't realized it was a coup yet. You thought it was, like, you were supposed to think it was just an assassination attempt. Okay, gotcha. I mean, I was It was Adam's information that made it, like, oh, oh, the family's important. (laughs) That's what was funny. I know. Adam was like, yeah, I wish we knew something. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember I, I got rid of all of the conversation back and forth up until I'm like, okay, 
<laughs> Adam, what did you do in your solo journey? <laughs> oh, I went out and I went and uh, we had to go escort the queen. Oh. Guys, the queen of town. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, the longer we play, the more information our characters have and our poor human brains have to keep track of. That's Mm -hmm. why some of us do diligent note-taking. I'm also not, like, really mean. Like, if it's something that I feel like your character would remember, I'll just tell you if you don't remember. Well, and then the other thing is that sometimes we have to separate what our character would know versus what our player would know. The notes just keep growing as well. I, I find sometimes maybe I did write something down, but I need to spend five minutes finding it. And in the moment, <laughs> that's not realistic. Yeah, usually I will try to describe to Tony what I'm trying to remember if I'm like forgetting a name. Like, Tony, it was the guy in this place. He was wearing this. I can remember all of that, but his name yeah, is- give me details and usually yeah. I can find him for you. Like with your campaign, the problem is that I have so many notes- I'm trying to remember, did we do this before or after this? So I'm trying to like, I flip to a page, I'm like, okay, reference, did this happen before or after? And I'm like, before. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I have to do a lot for for your campaign too, Bethany. Just like, when did this happen? So what we need is like, we need to be able to hire stenographers, basically, (laughs) who will just be like court reporters. They'll sit there in the corner, like with a little keyboard, like like carefully typing out everything. You're like, hey, can you read back um, (laughs) that thing from earlier? So what we need is a transcription of all of the episodes. To yeah. Reference. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it would be useful, but extremely labor intensive, especially yes. given all the fantasy names, which is why Tony gave us the spelling document. Yes. <laughs> because none of us agree with Tony's spelling on really any of the names. Like I cycle through. <laughs> I do my, my generators until I find one that I like the sound of, and then we move on. There might be some uh, voice-to-text programs out there that would do all the work for us. Patrons, we're counting on you. (laughs) (laughs) Quietly transcribing, ya do mean, ya do mean, ya do mean, over and over again. Not with a Y, it's with a J. Praise Praise ya do mean. Praise ya. I know you say other things, Chris. That's just, you know. That's really just the gist of it. It's just said in different ways. You'd also have lots of really small, like, in italics, Rumble Squad, like, Rumble just squad. randomly inserted <laughs> oh, yeah. throughout. Oh, yeah. so I've got Rumble Squad. Akiva's got Scrisma. 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 <laughs> yeah. Akiva really, literally points out the relationships between the characters in the scene just by, like, creepy whispering. It's Chris' dad. Yeah, we know. We're talking to him. <laughs> He's just so excited. And that sometimes replaces the name like it's a title. Hi, Scribs Mom. Uh, hello, Scribs yeah. Mom. Hello, Scribs Dad. I'm so excited to meet you, Scribs Mom and Scribs Dad. And they're like, uh, okay. It's like, hi. And he's like, families are wonderful. Mine is filled with sadness. <laughs> no, not Aww. sadness. They have no emotion. Well, yeah, but it makes him sad to think about it. Poor Kiva. You know, so, he only learned that it's a sad thing when he came to the material plane. <laughs> so going back to the question, though, will are you going to do a reveal, Tony, like post-campaign or maybe post-arc like one? Because I know you're kind of looking at these as story arcs. I have my DMs notes that I've been trying to post up on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. I'll probably do a reveal of like s- some of the major events that are going on in the background that have like already come to fruition. Like what some of the villains were doing while you guys were journeying. I would like to see, like, in a choose-your-own-adventure book, when you flip through, you've gotten your ending, probably bad, but maybe good. Then you go and you flip back, like, okay, but page 12, I was kind of almost going to go for this other choice. What would have happened if I went down this path? That's what I want to know. Like, what would have happened if we took a different path? You mean, like, if serviceable plots decided to 
not let the dragonborn go? Yeah, if we fought the dragonborn with a gun. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a tough fight, especially since you guys were already wounded. Or if we just decided to to leave the Rigorum, be like, all right, yeah, we're done. Like, we did we're our done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have the notes. By the way, uh, I specifically have the notes because all of you have mentioned at one point or another, like, we don't like it here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they do not understand what money is. This makes me sad. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to start writing what will start happening if they decide to leave, just in case. So I have that set to the side. So he could take you through the dark alternate timeline of what would have occurred. <laughs> Which actually, in the darkest timeline, that will happen. Ooh. Oh, because Rebel Squad will because have gone Because you never there. go to the Rigorum now. Oh, yeah. 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 Because yeah. other people are busy being pirates. <laughs> what other shit? <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that won't have been released yet, but I guess we can mention that will be coming out. will be uh, Elaine and Akiva pirates extraordinaire yes <laughs> yeah so that'll be the next darkest timeline episode that'll come out not probably not too too long it just takes a while i just to edit. need to take the time it's a lot to edit yeah get to see an alternate version of what the story could have been like and what the characters could have been like so to vaguely answer that question yes i will do <laughs> yeah big reveals. some sort of reveal some reveals of things that have been happening things that might have been missed I will try not to do so in a way that, like, yeah, you guys totally missed all of this stuff, by the way, because I don't know why. Well, <laughs> and you could have had some legendary items by now. <laughs> it's like, you, you know that room that you guys were like, nah, man, we're, we're just not going to go in that room at, anymore. It's like, uh, okay, fine. Yeah. I'll leave this epic Warhammer here. That's no. fine. Well, there's the, <laughs> we think about the big moments, like, what if Luvin hadn't said Boshti's name? Like, what would have happened then? I was pointing out, like, what if we fought the Dragonborn with a gun? But there's all the small things, too. Like, what if we had gone shopping? Could we have gotten some cool swag? Because we don't have a lot of cool swag. <laughs> You also don't have a lot of money. Darn it. Is there a way we could have gotten more money? That's what Chris and I want to know at the end. <laughs> oh, there's always a way you can get more money. Darn it. Ah. It usually involves doing illegal things or evil things. Oh. Well, darkest timeline. We'll get everybody gets rich <laughs> from piracy <laughs> or crime. <laughs> And Tony, to your credit, uh, you, you do give us players some uh, little bits of satisfaction that gets edited out of the recording sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, you just met that DC. Oh, yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah, If you guys are trying something really hard and just just happen to get it, I'll usually let you know. Because I know you like just hitting the thing, like finding the AC, finding the DC, <laughs> like just getting it. Yeah, it's true. There are things that we get that the audience that gets edited out just because it's mostly for our own gratification. Like, yes, roll so good. <laughs> we all start cackling. <laughs> or, you know, when you roll a 30 on your perception check to find a hidden passageway. All the way like, to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, take that. Well, I guess they wait what you want us to succeed. Sorry, we just got caught up in the competitive moment because some of us are very competitive. <laughs> It must be easy enough to edit out because the audio just spikes in the Audacity recording. It's harder for him. For some people. Yeah, because Adam spikes a lot in ours because something about me and Adam just goes, Wah! <laughs> so it'll just suddenly. <laughs> well, sometimes the only warning I'll get is, all right, go ahead and make your attack roll and then, <laughs> because he rolled in at 20. Uh-huh. Yeah, we all know from the squawk now, it's pretty distinctive um, that he says it's a 20 afterwards. We're like, yeah, yeah, we... Uh, we know. Is it another it, squawk for a natural one? Actually, no, I don't think, Tony. He um, does sad chuckle laugh. 
<laughs> guys it's, it's sort of a whimper i guess would be the most accurate or actually he does do like a squawk oh no <laughs> uh, i think i do a pause while i stare at it trying to reconcile it like like a like a blink and rub my eyes sort of thing like you, a cartoon like nope that's uh you do that's... a sad sigh you know and just, then, uh, uh... So one, especially when it's like, oh no, oh no. Well, oh, it's hard no. when it's something your character's good at. Like I've had times I've that one as Belinda on like investigation checks, which I have like a plus eight too. So then it's like, I forgot how to read. I'm sorry. I got a nine, guys. <laughs> I'm like, I think Belinda has a migraine right now or something. <laughs> <laughs> forgot how to do research. I try to be matter of fact about it. Sometimes I fail at that and I'm, I'm, I'm emotional about it. But a natural one sounds less bad if it's like uh, one on the die, total eight. <laughs> you yeah, just jump yeah. straight to the total and make it sound. Unless you're like, yeah. uh, one on the die, total of zero, because uh, I have negative one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Where you say, Rachel, when you have a, a negative, so yeah. it's like that one, total of zero. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I've had that a couple times in uh, the one of the online games. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not the intelligent one here. And I'm also not the charismatic one. So why are you having me do these checks? And they're like, because we all failed. I'm like, I super failed. I got a zero. <laughs> It's like they hand you the book and they're like, read it. They're like, try it, check it out. See if you know anything. And I'm like, okay, I'll look. It has pages. Yeah, I'm like, it's a book. Checks out. <laughs> it's book. <laughs> like, there was one point where we did three intelligence checks for everybody to figure out some of the creatures and what's going on. And you got a two, a two, and a zero. Hex cream. <laughs> oh quad my cream. gosh, you're right. Which, the quad cream. <laughs> quad cream. <laughs> check it out. Six quad arms, quad cream. <laughs> I like it. It's like, yeah, for sure. I don't know for why anybody's sure. questioning this. I, yeah. I know this. I know. Legend <laughs> tells of this. <laughs> Nissa just face palms. It's <laughs> yep. like, guys, it's not uh, uh, fine. He- Hexacream. <laughs> Six arms. So we had a question. I think this was in Discord, which was, for the mm-hmm. podcast, have we considered running a book? And I think this is referring to like the Wizards of the Coast modules and such. Yeah. Several of us have experience with being in games or running the books. I have my own personal feelings that have been shared a few times on Rules as Written. I guess Tony is DM. Do you want to answer first? I have not considered running a book. Part of it is I have been building this world for a very long time. And I want to run this world. You don't want to go back to the Forgotten Realms? I like the Forgotten Realms. I actually like them a lot. I ran out of the abyss uh, outside of the podcast and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. But it's... I don't know. Uh, I just I've never pictured actually running a a module from Wizards on the podcast. Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with running a module. I don't think there's one that I felt particularly inspired by recently. Like there's things I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. But not where I'm like, this is the one. Also, I read Princes of the Apocalypse ish. And I was not thrilled with it. I know it was one of the early ones and it definitely was not of the same quality as some of the later modules, but it, it provided like a interesting starting ground and then didn't really have the pacing I was looking for. I think that's something it's missing because the modules have to be one size fits all. They're not really paced for your party. So I think there's always some amount of adjusting, but um, I mean, some of them are really cool and there's a lot to choose from now. Before, I think, remember Rachel, you had, was it Horde of the Dragon Queen and Princes? And you're like, pick one. Well, I think I had the Horde, uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, Rise of Tiamat, because I had both mm-hmm. books. Oh, yeah. And yep. then, because those were the continuation yep. of each other. Yeah. And then um, Lost Minds of Fandelver and Princes of the Apocalypse. I think it was like all we had when we started. Yeah. And I was like, Princes <laughs> had the best cover at the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, this looks cool. Oh, elemental stuff. That sounds sounds fun. fun. (laughs) Yeah, I like (laughs) elemental stuff. And that was before they'd even come up with the errata. So a lot of the errors I was catching as I was running it and being very confused by, like NPCs and quest lines that vanish, there's some major errors in the book. So that led to some fun changes. But I have nothing against like being in a game that's running a module again. I just think it probably isn't the right fit for what you're trying to do, Tony. Not particularly. As someone who has very little experience DMing, I guess my, my question is, for someone who's a first-time DM, would it be better to run a module, a pre-built something? Yes, personally. But that's my perspective. I think modding a module helps to like give you a better feel over what works for the groups you like to DM and what works for you as a DM versus trying to run your own thing where you don't necessarily know the good and the bad yet. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I would say don't be afraid to take parts of a module. Like, don't you have to use the whole thing because some of them run for many, many levels and it might not be a good fit for, like, what level you want to start at because you might not want to start at level one or level three or level five. So, like, I think getting the books and getting to, like, read through them and see, like, this is a cool encounter and maybe run some of them as one-shots, too, could be good because mm-hmm. then you have the structure but you're not, like, tied into having to tell that story if you have a different story idea. So you, you could theoretically have a homebrew campaign that takes a little bit from every single module, and then you have a bunch of pre-built dungeons and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I know, like, for some of them, they're very good, almost like skeletons, that you can mm-hmm. then add your own meat onto. It gives you an overarching story to follow, but then you can add all the flavor that you want, or take out whatever you don't need, and then just kind of stick to, like, the core plot line, because I think that's, like, one of the harder parts to come up with is, like, the whole plot line unless you're like me who's like oh there's this book you shouldn't touch hey <laughs> we must just have. touch the book I'm i like, have accidentally created the whole core plot line I will, let's do it i will die for this book <laughs> you're like what is happening <laughs> it's literally just a book okay cool it's okay it writes itself <laughs> yep yep and i know you ran uh lost minds too which you liked parts yes. of <laughs> and other parts you fixed. <laughs> yeah. The biggest problem with that one is the very beginning uh, is not – I don't think it's balanced well for any party because I have yet to hear anybody <laughs> – yeah, Nick knows. <laughs> I have yet to hear anybody <laughs> run that first section without having a TPK because you have wolves that have pack tactics. So mm-hmm. they're rolling an advantage every turn almost, if mm-hmm. not every turn, and they're just – they just decimated the party. And that's pretty much the place I've heard that everybody else also killed their party. Oh, that makes me feel less bad for dying. It, no, no, you... <laughs> if I had known, I would have removed that last, that little element and not had them had the pack tactics, because that's what did it. I was rolling with advantage, which means... Yeah. I think I rolled three crits in a row, basically, because oh, I had gosh. advantage. The other problem that I made, because I was still new, is all my rolls were visible by the players, so I couldn't fudge anything. Um, we won't go down the fudgy rolls rabbit hole. We've done it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, I mean, I would have been nicer, maybe. <laughs> but they were like, nope, we're dead. Well, I guess that kind of leads into the next question. So if you're not running a module or something from the DMs Guild, we had a question, when building the world, where or what do you start with? For me, the story. I figure out what the end plot is. What's the conflict, I think, is kind of where you yeah. started, right? I remember with this particular campaign, like I've told you several times, like I had inspiration that I gained from lore on the Blood Wars and then took it from there as to what the main conflict would wind up being. But yeah, I start with the main conflict and then slowly fill out, well, who are the people that will be involved in this conflict? Who are some people that are for it? Who are some people that are against it? What are the politics here? <laughs> and then what are the places that they would live in? 
<laughs> Rachel's like, no. no, Tony doesn't do a lot of politics in yeah, his campaign. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, Rumble Squad be like, sorry, guys, we have to go to some trade negotiations now. Uh, we cannot rumble at this point. Um, there's some <laughs> diplomacy to do. <laughs> be like, oh, no. Tony. Wow, glad I'm a charisma build. <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the first characters that I'm not high charisma. How do I do this? I don't know how to not charisma. <laughs> Just yeah. like I don't know how to intelligence. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel your pain. We all fall into like playing a type. We're like, wait, I'm not playing my type. Like, yep. I, I'm not a high dex character right now. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not dodgy and I get hit a lot. What's up Aww. with that? Oh, right. I don't have but, a lot of decks. Darn why? it. <laughs> yeah, I know you're really, uh, really sad about that with Belinda right now. <laughs> she has a plus two. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be much more traumatized. But it is funny. In initiative roles, there was a while where I was like, but I was a ranger and I was so good at initiative roles. But and I, I had like a plus nine. I don't know what this means. I yeah. never had that. <laughs> Someday with- Rachel will play a dexterous character with the alert feet. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that, that's the one thing I'm missing from Auric as well as from when I was playing the, the monk. Feet. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah, because it is such a nice uh, feat. Mostly just to add, because Chris plays a, a monk in my campaign who has the alert feat. So I guess going back to the question of world building, though, I'm more drawn to story than the world itself. Like, I know some people really like building out, like, what's the culture like? What's history, technology? Like, I'm interested in all of that. But I kind of start from, like, what are the people like here? I want to build, like, the characters like the npcs first and then kind of think about what they're gonna do because i think that's where the fun is and for me where the drama is because <laughs> so. when in doubt there's always tv tropes yes exactly you still manage to get surprised so at least i'm not too predictable but specifically soap opera tropes <laughs> what this was this man's other son who was actually a clone but actually someone else entirely that oh, was put no. into a clone's body oh my gosh yeah so for me I, yeah i just like the the characters who have interesting complex motivations that's where i like personally would start what are your thoughts rachel where do, where do you start if you're building out a space i mean like the one that i started working on i think i started with the overall idea of like okay i want this to be the idea of the world like not necessarily the conflicts or the actual like arc or anything but just like here's like some of the key points that are affecting how the world is built and then i like went from that really really high level and dropped down to like actually starting to build the maps and going like okay this region has affected how this region has affected how so like this is my idea and then let's like hone really far in and start Top building down. in like the little areas yeah and how it affected you know like the trade and all that yeah so i think you and tony are top down i think i'm bottom up for mine where mm. i'm like well we'll get to the major world stuff later but for now what are the npcs doing in town <laughs> yeah i also do tend to like going and picking out the monsters that i want to use and using those kind of helping with those to build the world like okay i can't have a sea dragon if i have no seas <laughs> like you it's know true. just using that a little bit but i don't Aquarium use that aquarium dragon fishbowl dragon yeah but i don't use that as like the the defining you know it's just like okay well if i want to have this kind of flavor with these monsters how can i then work that into everything yeah I tend to look at the reverse slightly when it comes to monsters and building the world just because I was like, well, I have this thing going on. Are there any monsters that would fit kind of what I want to be occurring in this area? Yeah, I guess uh, so sort of rephrase it for for I guess Nick and Chris, since you guys haven't been doing as much world building, but you've been engaging with the world. What is it about a world that you really connect with that makes you feel like you're, you're building up what it's like? What, what draws you in? 
So I, I, I generally like I, I tend to fall back on enjoying the whole TV tropes type deal because there's a reason that they have become tropes. Yeah. It's because they are engaging and they pretty much always work. There's always some kind of MacGuffin that you have to retrieve and take the ring to Mordor. <laughs> And I think you and I, Chris, both like when we when we recognize what the inspiration, like where this particular trope is coming from, from the DM's perspective and going, aha, I see what you did there. And I'm cool with it. <laughs> I'll, we'll do better with it. We're going to do better than, than those hobbits did <laughs> with, with the ring. Sure. Yep. It's going to be great. And then there's always like the little puzzles and stuff that uh, help add extra flavor into the world. Yeah. What, what are the problems you're solving? Mm-hmm. And can I beat the DM and think of something that he has not? Oh, that's that's half the fun, man. Is <laughs> coming up with the uh, the solution that the DM says. Well, I never thought about that. The, the unexpected solution. Give me a moment as I consider if this will work. Yeah, that's how you darn it. It will. <laughs> I think anything that surprises me just draws me in. It, it, it could be a surprising NPC. It, it could be. Oh, wow. I, my character concept actually fits in really well with this plot device, this overarching theme in the world. Or it, it could even be just the aspect of play, the mechanics. Wow, that was an interesting role. I didn't expect that monster to be there. Is it because you like the surprise itself or is it adapting to the surprise? <laughs> A bit of both. There is that soap opera organ blaring <laughs> drama moment of a surprise but there is also rising to the occasion or sometimes hilariously not rising to the occasion <laughs> happens to all the best of us <laughs> i haven't really worked on world building for a tabletop role-playing perspective but i know from building a, a video game which is a little bit different some story concepts i've been thinking about really have started with the characters but I think part of the, the challenge for a DM there, right, is that sometimes players might skip an NPC entirely. Yeah, that would never happen. <laughs> or just straight up kill them round one. So, you know, it happens. You know, punch them in the eye before they monologue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> These are all specific things that happen to me. I'll fess up. Where I was like, here's a cool guy to be a, like an antagonist. And then, oh, oh, he oh, was oh. dead. No, they... They are dead. They are dead, and yep. it was really fast. Well, well time to throw out fun. these 20 pages of notes that I had on this character. <laughs> I'm like, well, great job, guys. <laughs> we'll uh, keep moving forward. <laughs> I might have had a few of like, all right, I'm going to put this NPC. This is a great <laughs> NPC in this area. Why are you guys walking past this area? Isn't this, do you not see the flashing light that look at this great NPC? Okay. <gasps> Ooh, okay, bye. Jody, can I mention from the jail, the, um, what do we call it? The, the, the black, black site <laughs> that Rumble Squad was at? There was one of the NPCs there that you guys didn't really talk to. Tony mentioned a little bit about it because i wanted to know his story the the like Pagle, fabble, stabble. yeah the gnome guy the was racist. like a he was a yeah. gnome yeah. supremacist and like yeah. Yeah. and he's just like hey gnomes are good don't worry about gnomes those other for people. life and i was just like what why is he like this what what what, what, what <laughs> why is he like this who hurt you, <laughs> like, who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know he'll just have to be you know he's not dead no we didn't kill him we knocked him no, out no you left him alive so there, there's a plot thread. He's going to come back later. Yeah, for vengeance against non-gnomes or whatever. Great. I'm sure it'll be fine. That's okay. It's like the red, was it the red sash for- um, The red sash. The red sash. For serviceable plots. Oh, your bandit buddies. Yeah, our bandit buddies who are like, we shall return. We will be back. And you're like, we're trying to deal with world ending threats right now. And you're literally like, just a bunch of bandits. We like, literally <laughs> fought some undead casters like a couple days ago. Come on. They'll be back. I know they'll be back, and it's going to be really, like, comedically Aha, ineffective. We have returned to claim our vengeance. 
No, I expect they're going to come back and it'll be just the leader and a whole bunch of new guys because all the old guys quit. You know, like it'll just be a whole new gang. And and they'll be like, wait, wait what, what vengeance? We don't know these people. He'll be like, no, you hate them. They're terrible. We need our vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> I like when NPCs are really just petty when it comes down to it because as players, we are also <laughs> petty. Like... I think that's where a lot of the silly drama comes from that I like, where it's oh. just like, we just hate this person because of something really trivial that they did that was very obnoxious. We just, no. We don't like the way they talk. Yeah. <laughs> we just did. We felt they had a really bad attitude. They did have a bad attitude. Why are they so unhelpful? Yeah. And then going, wait, we were also being unhelpful. There is a, I remember he was a, a larger dude, very nicely dressed, and we all disliked him just because he was like kind of rich and snobby. He yes. was snobby. Oh, but he totally be- did betray you. I'd already written that. It was uh, Gervor who was oh, like, "Oh, that guy." Yeah, we yeah. saved his life, and he turns around and tries to steal the township from under our, yeah. one of our player characters. Well, he just was uh, looking for an opportunity and you guys saved his life. He was grateful. And then he found out there was this town in need of his charismatic leadership. And he rolled in while you guys were gone and was like, hey, I should be your mayor. Look how great I am with my words and, and my we're talking. Like, no. And then what? <laughs> no. he like put up posters with his face on them. <laughs> and the best thing is we didn't have to kill him. Someone else did for us. Oh, yeah. He straight up got murdered. That was your murder mystery session. That's right. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Good times. Yep. So uh, we did have a question that was sort of adjacent, which was when building a story, what do you start with? Uh, I think mine's still NPCs with in- <laughs> when they have a story that interests me. And to kind of piggyback on Chris from before... Something to do with a trope I like. I don't always play it true to exactly how the trope is because I don't want it to be completely expected. Also, I really love betrayal. I'm sorry, I just do. It's just a fact. <laughs> That's why every NPC you guys are like, what's their deal? What do they want? And not that all of the NPCs are ready to betray you, but like a lot of them are if somebody pays them. They're poor people. They like to make money or maybe they're not poor. Maybe they just like money, you know? So just having those motivations. How about you, Rachel? What What's your story inspiration? If I'm looking at the high story, like all the way up at the big arc and stuff, I, mm-hmm. it's kind of just like what seems interesting. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm looking at more just like an encounter for like the story, especially if it's just I'm trying to build like a one shot, it's more of, okay, what would be a good beginning, middle and end for like one session? You know, and I look at, okay, where can I get from point A to point B in this like mini one shot session or even in like the next two sessions if I'm trying to build like the greater story. So I'll, I'll build out kind of in chunks, like chapters. And that's kind of what we've done for CodeGaming is having like a theme and then going like, what fits with this theme? I know, mm-hmm. Nick, you've done that too when, when CodeGaming kind of that coming up with like what goes with the, the overall flavor of the, of the story. Yeah, though that also taught me that planning the beginning is the most important because the end might be an unexpected thing. <laughs> It's yeah. true. Things might go completely off the rails. We thought we had rails, but um, they were old and creaky and rusty. <laughs> yeah. The party got rid of those real fast. So just for those who aren't in our game, which is most people, uh, we do a tradition every winter where we have like a Christmas or winter themed uh, one shot that we take turns co-DMing. That usually means more players, and I think also the more players you add to a group, the more, the more chaos. The more chaos you get. Yeah. So Nick and Rachel um, mm-hmm. co-DM'd an encounter that went in an interesting direction, unexpected. Yep. 
There was lots of course correction throughout the whole adventure. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was my super shady shadow sorcerer person. Yeah, that was the That's sketchiest right. like PC Toady has ever played, where he was like ready to backstab everyone. <laughs> Very. Yeah, I was ready. you're usually so lawful good. I'm used to being Captain America, so it was weird you being like, don't worry. I think I kind of <laughs> built that character just because I'm like, no, no more lawful characters. I'm going to be chaotic neutral. Just all out. Let's do this. <laughs> that was, I was playing a tabaxi ranger named Stow on the mountain of the mountaintop clan. <laughs> and I know my character was like, I just want to gather stories <laughs> and be helpful. And Tony's character was like, I want to steal everyone's money. <laughs> No, no. I want to convince them to give it to me. Sorry. Not technically stealing. My mistake. Yeah. So poor Nick. You you got, um, I was going to say thrown to the wolves. You got surrounded by the, the wolves of the players. In retrospect, I was probably a bit too ambitious uh, with, with with my portion that, that I added, which was trying to add a, a kind of a physical puzzle in adding like this mystery where you, there is a certain number of clue cards you find and then you combine them together to create ultra clues and that we we threw that out real quick and and there was also a fun sledding game save for the end but because of said rails being discarded there wasn't really time to do that yeah yeah that's the hard part is is when you have so many ideas and a lot of them they might be great ideas it just doesn't end up working in the time frame that's the the struggle of one shots is be like oh didn't mm-hmm. get to it you can always save it for something later though be like i'll squirrel that little little nugget away maybe maybe yeah. down the road all right so i think did anyone else have thoughts on story building me building my world is similar to me building the story is what is the central conflict i think we could also talk about backstory building a little bit maybe because i think we all have different approaches i know personally i start from like a concept that just like popped up in my head and i'm like yeah but like how does that work what does that look like how does that character fit into the world and then i ask five thousand questions of tony if it's in his game and slowly like fill that in so that it becomes like semi-coherent but also a little weird because i like building characters who are a little weird um i think it depends on the campaign like for elaine honestly i actually did a lot of the random rolling tables and then filled in the details around that to build her some of her backstory stuff because i'm like i don't i think i want to do this druid barbarian thing how would i get there i have no idea let's do some random rolling and see what comes up if it sparks any any joy (laughs) (laughs) does does this backstory spark joy is this yeah (laughs) the marie kondo method (laughs) and then from there i I built in a lot of the the extra details and like actually you know filled it all out Mm -hmm. and i did something similar when building auric is I kind of had this cool idea for a character, and it's like, how did he get to this point? I need some randomness thrown in to help spark inspiration. So that's where a lot of those like random tables and that can come in handy. I actually really do like the tables in Xanathar's Guide for, mm-hmm. for little bits of inspiration to help fill out a character. And I would say you don't have to feel bound by it, because sometimes I've done that where I've rolled something and I go, oh, no, that's not right. But that's also helpful information to know, like, no, that's not, yeah. that doesn't fit with where I'm going. So it kind of helps you, like, eliminate things. Like, no, I don't think that this is someone who came from a noble background, because that's not really jiving with who this character is and slowly mm-hmm. kind of refining it. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. How about you, Nick? I, I try and play something a little different each time. Uh, at least in terms of personality. So this time I was going more for extroverted. Uh, so ha- I was like, okay, what kind of extrovert could I conceivably play in a somewhat convincing manner? I decided to go with hyper optimistic and and excitable. And then just 
looking through especially the new unearthed arcana content the artificer really jumped out at me and it just happened to work well with what i knew of the story of the backstory of the world uh just because it was a sequel campaign and so there's this sense of progress technologically it's true there are now guns apparently that can be drawn and pointed at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how did that work for lubin's backstory you kind of had an idea of the character in the class well, with that, with that optimism and, and, and with the line of work comes, okay, how, how does one get to this point? There are certain areas that would be better for it than others. And that kind of required, I think, a bit of back and forth with you, Tony. Just what would make the most sense for an artificer? Oh, hey, there's a research city here in Solana, the Elven Kingdom. I also had this pen pal idea kind of separate that I, I needed to work in in a convincing way. So sometimes it's these disparate backstory pieces and finding the, the right tools to mesh them together in a way that's compelling. So I, I went with the wanderlust idea of someone who wants to go out into the world but starts from very kind of humble beginnings, right? Very sheltered. Yeah. Yeah, and I think to your point about wanderlust, I think for me the, the part building a character concept is not hard for me i have to settle on why does this character adventure like why did they leave mm -hmm. the comforts of home because it's easy to build a character that fits in the world they're 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 engaged they're part of it but you're like but they have to leave all of that to be out on the road fighting monsters overcoming obstacles and i'd say for belinda she doesn't really want to be an adventurer but someone has to get the job done <laughs> so that was my picture Tony. i was like she's not seeking glory she definitely doesn't have wanderlust she could spend the rest of her life happily quietly working in an office <laughs> she doesn't want recognition no no she's not a like adventurous character but she feels like called to take on these jobs because well somebody has to get it done and i don't know anyone else is going to so i know i could be a competent person so i guess that's sort of what what was the answer for that because i know that was something i had to work out with tony to your point nick kind of working with the dm on what what fits what makes this story something that leads into the campaign itself instead of just being i have this really cool character and they they that's it they, they don't want to go anywhere they want to stay at home forever writing documentation and something that this campaign taught me is that some of the character creation stuff and working with your DM can be an ongoing process. Like you, you leave some gaps, whether you intend to or not, that leave you this opportunity to go back later and, and try and work that in. Like the, the sheltered aspect of Leuven, that's not something that I really planned right from the start. Um, I, I don't know if you had a, had a similar experience with Belinda yet, where something kind of developed that you weren't fully expecting. I intentionally left some gaps that are... I'm trying to make sure I don't spoil too much about my character because there's so much that hasn't come out about this character. There are gaps I left on purpose because I wanted to let Tony fill them in because there are things about my character's past that even she might not fully be aware of what the implications were. So I was like, Tony, here's my gift to you. Please use this against my character down the road when I'm least expecting it and traumatize her. She needs that. She needs to be shaken up. She's a little too like even keeled right now. She might be stressed, but she's even keeled. Yeah, so I think a little bit. Yeah, I, I like leaving some some things left unknown or a little vague because also you think our characters don't have a full awareness of what's going on in the world. So even their memories of their life are very focused on how they want to remember them. There's also the fact that these characters have decades of life, so can't really iron out every last little detail in a backstory without writing a full novel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think little bits and pieces of yourself naturally work their way in over time, too. Like, 
I, I grew up a bit sheltered in, in some ways to less extremes that there, there, there were not horse trampling incidents, but <laughs> there's that too. It, it's, it's always going to represent you a little bit somewhere, whether you fully realize it or not. Yeah, that's a good oh, yeah. point. It's, it's a continual process, right? It's your character's not done because they should always be learning and growing. And as players were, I like to think I get better at playing my character, the more in tune I am with what's going on and the more obstacles Tony presents us with that traumatize our characters as he should, you know, throwing <laughs> us off balance. <laughs> it's a slow build. Each one will be a more difficult choice. <laughs> yes. Uh. The choices. I love making choices as a, as a player. It's one of my favorite things. And also it's the most stressful thing when, you know, like, okay, I, I think I'm making a good choice now, and I won't know if it was a good choice for, like, I don't know, maybe literally years. <laughs> it's all fine. Well, I mean, you guys literally made a choice that's like, yeah, this is gonna, this could have real bad repercussions later. We'll find out. <laughs> or it could be really good in the end, just with a little bit of bad. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll find out. Or we won't find out. Is that better or worse? I don't know. We'll just have to wonder. <laughs> Everything's fine. The world is not on fire. <laughs> don't worry. There'll be big reveals at the end to find out how that turned out. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Tony has promised. He'll tell us how we um, managed to create sort of lasting change in the world. All good. For sure. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Then we'll move on to some of our sort of less grand questions to more specific. What is your most hated animal encounter? Would you like to go first? I could go first because Tony's like, I don't think we've had a lot of hated animal encounters that I went, the boars. Because it it wasn't a bad encounter where our characters were just, um, this was in Rachel's Near campaign. Death. Yes, because we had the sorcerer, the ranger, and the bard, and we were really early on in plague. We did not work together at all. We literally all just stood oh. in separate parts of like a field as boars came to maul us to death. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. forgot about that. That was like session two or something. I think it was supposed yeah. to be this, like small scale. We were escorting thing. the the guy or whatever who was giving us a ride. Yeah, and the cart broke down or something, and we had to defend it. It was like two boars. It wasn't even no, like there were a pack of them. They were, they were like four. goring us. Man. I thought there was only like two. Oh, maybe I'm to give a different one. No, I think there were like four of them because yeah, it was like was us like and the NPC. So I think it made sense oh, for yeah. the challenge okay. rating. There was one to one ratio. We just didn't know what we were doing. It was 3.5. Yeah. So mechanics worked yeah. a little differently. Totally and different. I still had, I was still very, 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 oh, yeah. very new at DMing. <laughs> well, and we hadn't figured out how to coordinate with each other. So my character was like, fire, fire. And Tony was like, his rage. Stab, stab. And I don't remember what you did, Chris. I, I honestly did. Try to charm the pants off of them. Mock. Probably. Mock. I, <laughs> mock yeah. those boars. Viciously them mock bit. them. No, I think it was more of an insult to injury thing. Where it's like, literally, they're just like giant wild pigs and we're going to die. <laughs> we didn't. But, but it was actually like strangely terrifying and menacing when I realized like my character could just die by being like knocked over by a boar not even like it viciously. might breathe on your yeah. character and that's why i was like rachel i might have like really screwed up on this character I, like, I don't i don't know what you did wrong <laughs> uh i rolled for my hp and i didn't put any points in con <laughs> so i think that was the point where i had like five hit points or something like that so that was on me totally on me i made bad choices and the boars were just scary so i don't think we've ever fought boars since and i've never used them as a dm because i'm slightly traumatized <laughs> Despite them just being boars, they didn't even particularly want to go after us. They just were like passing through, I think. If for some reason we antagonized them or something, maybe I set one on fire. That might have been on me. It might have been set it on fire. That <laughs> might have been, been, been like, ah, uh, they're coming at us, fire. Yeah, that might have been what happened. Th this might be all my fault, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It was hated not because it was a bad encounter, but because looking back, I'm like, 
just did a terrible job as players. <laughs> it was just awful. <laughs> Choices were made. That leads into my most hated uh, animal encounter, the Sturges. <gasps> oh! <Yeah. laughs> that very may not have been my fault that time, though. Yeah, so for reference, what are Sturges? <laughs> Sturges are these little tiny blood-sucking, like massive mosquitoes, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like mosquitoes slash bats, basically. Yeah, yeah. bat-skeetos. Bat-skeetos. <laughs> well, so they're not particularly hard uh, in and of themselves, but the situation that we found ourselves in just <laughs> led to a massive swarm of them. And the problem is that they attach themselves to you. And they just keep doing damage every single round. So unless you, like, get them off of you, it's pretty much a death sentence. Do you want to share, Rachel, why there was a swarm of Sturges? So my character, <laughs> low intelligence, but good walked intentions. up to a cave, and I don't remember what prompted it, but my character was just like, hello, anybody <laughs> we there? We debated sneaking in, and we were talking about it, and your character got impatient. Yeah. yeah. Just yelled into the cave. Yeah. I think you were just like, anyone there? <laughs> and Matthew's like, oh, oh okay. Oh, that was like session two of VDMX. No, that was a that pre-session. Was like one. Yeah, that it was, was like, pre-session. Yeah. It was a pre-session. We hadn't fully <clears throat> gathered the party. We were just trying out these new characters. Yeah, so you like holler into the cave and literally all of the Sturges fly out <laughs> and surround yeah. the party. And then it was just like crit, 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 crit. And yeah, like, it was chaos. And I was like, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill all of them. I don't I don't know what's going to happen. Like, well, it's low stakes. It's okay. It's session zero. Zero. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sturges have a D4 of health. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, they're not hard to kill individually. If we can hit them, we can kill them. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it was one of those that went from like zero to a hundred in like one round where I was like, oh no, oh no, they're, they're dropping like flies. They're, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and not the Sturges, they should be dropping like flies. They're literally like giant bugs. Oh no. But it, it worked out. The party did coordinate. So this ties in the one I have. Oh. Go. Do tell. Speaking of low HP animal fights, <laughs> Rachel, in your Lost Minds campaign, I was attempting to play a, uh, a character who was not very well intentioned. And for the most part, I couldn't bring myself to do that. But there was one moment that I did and I felt horrible after. There was an encounter with uh, a bear and a bear cub. So I oh, I was a monk and I, I threw a dart at a baby bear because I was like, this is what the character would do. Ruthless. And it, it one shot it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I remember Sarah was like, you monster, what? And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not a bad person. Like, it's my character. But my character is. Yeah, I think Rachel messaged me, Nick just murdered a baby bear. <laughs> and I was like, what? That doesn't sound and like then Nick. you asked me, how do I want to do it? And uh, I'm not going there. Yeah, you were just like, no. Maybe he was just trying to get 10 hit points as a warlock. No, Chris. No, Chris. I was a monk. No excuse. Yeah. No, Chris is uh, hearkening back to several talks we had, several, about whether or not his warlock could go into the woods and murder squirrels for temp HP. And I was like, no, that's not what your patron wants. <laughs> uh-huh. the end. Maybe he has a thing against rodents and furry woodland creatures. 
Rachel is super nature loving paladin is not going to be cool with you murdering yeah. squirrels for, uh, for tipping. And murder you for 10 hit points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to think about how your party will react to murdering animals. Also, I don't know. I don't think I've ever played a character who would be like into animal murder except for my ranger who was like very much like, well, sometimes we must kill things for food because ranger, like that's normal. So yeah, other animal encounters. We've we've shared some traumatic stories. Charlie, I don't think I have an animal encounter I particularly hated. And you've hated running? No. Okay. I think the only one that I it was close to not liking, and it was only because of the extreme fear of dying, would have been the hippogriffs flying yeah. encounter. You mean the one where you guys went on the manticore hunt? Manticore hunt? Yeah. 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 That was a great <laughs> encounter. You guys yep. did such a good job. But I know your character, um, n- not a fan of the death by falling. Yeah. But me, I'm also I'm like, falling to your death is a really bad way to die. <laughs> this may have led to some deep-seated trauma um, later on. My character can attest to that. That's yeah. before your character got thrown off of a tower and had a really personal reason to hate falling <laughs> to your death. Yeah, that's true. So I guess that's all we have on animal encounters. Overall, yeah, I guess- I just don't have one I hate. They've been good. That's a good that's a good answer then. So I think we'll go on to another one, which is your favorite or least favorite magic item. And I'm going to say to narrow it, we'll say items that you have actually used as a player character. The ones you've loved or hated. So- I really like the immovable rod. It's so versatile. What's it? What's your favorite immovable rod story? Well, so I don't think I've had to do this in a campaign, but it's one of those things where I need to scale this wall. I am just going to climb in empty space. It's like Mission Impossible where they have like the suction cups, but where you don't even have to suction to the window. You're just like click, 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 click with your immovable rod. Yeah, or when you needed to pin down that NPC to make sure they do not get back up. You have <laughs> now have a perfect restraining device. It's just got so many practical applications. Exactly. All you do is just put it on their chest and then click. Yep. Yeah, I do remember you loaned out a movable rod by campaign. Every time you're like, did we get that movable rod back? And like, no, you didn't get back no. it. You're like, darn it. We need yeah. that back. Because <laughs> there's been a few times where I'm like, oh, we could use. Oh, I don't have it. It's a, It's a multifunctional item. That's true. Tony, what's your favorite magical item? Is it the one I think of when I think of magical items I shouldn't have given you, or is there something else that's You mean the out? Vorpal Sword? Yeah. <laughs> Sentient Vorpal Sword. I love the Vorpal Sword. <laughs> I was actually thinking, though, like, is there another magic item that I've really enjoyed? I have enjoyed the Dwarven Thrower. Yeah, that's pretty cool, because it's basically like Thor's hammer, where you can yeah, throw it I mean, and it's it like, returns Well, especially you. since I built a strength-based character, here's a way that I can just, like, multi-attack range and do well. And part of it's the cool factor, right? Like there's, there's I get a, to throw a hammer, smack a thing, it goes back to my hand. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. I'm trying to think of non-weapon ones. I think the, my least favorite magic item we've encountered was in Tony's Adibus campaign, was uh, the Bag of Devouring. Did I actually throw the Bag of Devouring at you? I thought I switched it. No, no, it was in there. I mean, it didn't end up going too bad against us, but it was a very upsetting thing. We didn't like buy it and discover it was a Bag of Devouring. Right. But it was like an you NPC You just discovered that, that it was a bag of devouring. And I was like, ah, oh, no, that's the worst case scenario for any player character is having your stuff taken. Mm-hmm. And also the idea of a giant like interdimensional bag that eats things is really horrifying. Just not not something I would ever want to encounter in real life. As great as bags of holding are, bags of devouring that just sort of eat your stuff. Like, it's pretty traumatic. I will say least favorite magic item I had in that entire campaign, which I tweaked eventually, but you have this mace that is magical. You get early on in one of the side quests, 
and you can use a bonus action to light it with green fire, and it does one point of extra fire damage. That's the only magic effect it has. That's it. Yeah, kind of pointless. <laughs> also, I think you have to attune to it. Yeah, it required a two-bit slot. It was like, literally no one will ever use this. Yeah. I have a favorite magic item, hands down. Oh, yeah? Boots of Elvenkind. Uh, that is a solid, is a solid. choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone can use Boots of Elvenkind. Yeah. Unless you have something, some better boots, there's no reason not mm-hmm. to have Boots of Elvenkind, no matter how sneaky you are. Yeah. It gives you advantage, it, uh, assuming that you don't have heavy armor, or really heavy armor on, and if you do, then at least you can get a flat roll, and it doesn't require attunement, somehow. Yeah. And can you talk about how fabulous they look with their little curled over toes, right? Like, <laughs> classic oh, yeah. elf shoes, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Great for any occasion, fancy parties, sneaky through the woods, like, you can wear them anywhere. I assume they're also comfortable, but it doesn't say, I don't think. I'm going to headcanon that they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they have those orthopedic inserts that old people get in their shoes, you know, where they're like really, (laughs) really cushy. I assume it's- Well, and they they magically form to your feet, so. Yeah. There you go. You don't even need the orthopedic insoles. That's part of the shoe. (laughs) Man, our Monday world is so boring. Think if we had magic, all of the amazing things we could do, like comfy shoes. So much. (laughs) Comfy shoes. (laughs) But yeah, that's a good one, Nick. I remember in my campaign when you guys first got the chance to really go shopping in Waterdeep, a big city with lots of shops, it was like, everybody's getting booed. You got boots. You got boots. I think the only people who don't have boots of Elvenkind are people that have like winged boots. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, otherwise, I think everyone does have boots of Elvenkind. Well, I've got my boots of speed now. Oh, yeah. I do love boots of speed. The boots of speed are great for when you have a character that really needs to be able to tap their heels and rush into combat and get in there and strike fast and strike early. Um, and I just think they sound cool. Oh, yeah. I've got some boots of speed. You know, yeah. no big deal. So, Rachel, what what magic items stand out to you, the the good or the bad? So, like, most used, I think, are going to be the Amulet of Health that I've been Mm -hmm. wearing since very early on. Love it. It is an attunement item. Also, I'm a big fan of Sending Stones. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) Like... Those are, I mean, they're just so simple, but they are they make all the difference for, like, communicating long distances. You're like, hey, everything okay over there? I'm just checking in. <laughs> Nick, do you have a least favorite? You mentioned Boots Velvakind is your favorite. I don't like the way that healing potions work mechanically. They, t- they take an action to consume, although we house ruled that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the healing also really just doesn't keep up with things yeah, for the most scale. part. Yeah. But Lubin's potions scale a little better, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> Great, do some more healing, especially when you can chuck a healing healing potion at someone mm-hmm. but should you i mean one time should and, you and, no. and then never again. can you yes <laughs> it worked right it worked <laughs> that's what matters yeah so this last yeah. one is the broadest question we had which is what is your best memory i assume meaning favorite but maybe it's the one you remember most vividly from any rpg system so this wouldn't have to be D or the campaign but what's a great rpg memory you have so I got one that's kind of different because it's not from our any of our D&D games. It's actually from that LARP I played in for a while. I think it was like maybe the first or second session that I'd played with them. So I had no idea what I was doing still. They gave me like a little stat sheet and kind of tried to walk me through it. But I still was like, I don't know. This sounds fun. And it's um, a vampire game. So we were playing and I went with a... None of the other people had a charm-based class or whatever. So I was like, I'll be all about charms and like illusions and stuff. And we walk in and there was like some kind of, essentially like a dire bear is what I imagine. But it was basically a bear created from flesh of various beasts that there was like two of them that were going to attack us. And I was just like, no. (laughs) And he was like, okay. And then, you know, had me draw, uh, because you draw cards for the game to see how well you do. And I draw essentially like several crits in a row. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, 
yeah, those bears are like your pets now. I was like, just go stand in the corner. And they're like, we just totally happening? bypassed that fight. And the, the they call him the storyteller, but it's basically yeah. the GM. He's like, they were going to destroy you. <laughs> I had scaled them so far up that there was a chance one of you was going to die tonight. And you just bypassed the whole fight by going, no. <laughs> I was like, yay. I like this game. I want to play more. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I think I got one from uh, mm-hmm. when we were actually at Gen Con last year. Because I had never done any of like those real distance type games, similar to like a Warhammer or a Battletech. We were playing one. It was called Tech Commander. It was supposed to be kind of similar to like a Mech Warrior or Battletech type game. And for starters, I just had a really good series of roles on various things. And it got to the point where it was kind of like this battle royale where you had to take out the other person and if you kill them, you get additional points and you can bring in additional mechs and whatnot. So it got to the point where the other people had gotten me down to like one health left and I did what was called a death from above, where basically you jump up in the air and you just come and more or less body slam them and you do damage to yourself. But it was enough to take out the other person and kill me in the process. So I denied them getting points for my death. Spite attack. (laughs) Well, it's funny because it made the DM go, huh. I guess you could do that. That's a little broken. So, so, so I actually broke the game system for them, and it was just such a satisfying feeling. So you're like, I have done good work here. As you look yes. around at their sad faces, yes. Well, so good. anytime you can make it where the DM has to actually call the person who created the, the, game, the game, the creator of the game, and say, can they, can they actually do this? Is this as broken as I think it is? And they go, yes, it is wonderful. <laughs> and you're like, Yay! Ultimate exploit! (laughs) Truly the highlight of my day. Yeah. So I don't think I've shared this one. Possibly I could have in rules. It's back in like a one shot I did when I was first like, do I want to DM? I want to try it out and see what I think of it. And Rachel and Chris, you guys were in this one where I had a little town called Golden Fields. And it was like a little journey into the town. And you met these NPCs who were like, help us. Our mayor has been taken. We love our mayor. And you're all like, okay. And like oh, literally yeah. every NPC said the same thing. And I remember later, Chris, you're like, we just thought you were really bad at role playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're like, yeah, because literally they all had like the same script. And they said it the same weird way. Um, and of course, as you investigated further, and encountered the mayor, you found out, yes, he had been kidnapped by bandits that were holding him for ransom. That much was true. But also he was using magic to control the whole town and make them all love him. Yes, uh, yes. And then you're all like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's why <laughs> they're all like, bad. <laughs> because like all of your questions would be like, so what's the mayor like? Oh, he's wonderful. Can you be more specific? He's the best mayor. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, Can you give some examples? It took no, us three really people. <laughs> yeah, but eventually they started saying different things once the charm had started to wear off over time. So you did get some more later and you're like, okay, that's what's going on. Well, we were trying to be nice. We're oh, like, I know. Oh, <laughs> she just... Just really bad at coming up with descriptions? Yeah. Poor girl. She doesn't know what she's doing. You guys were very nice about it. You're like, okay, well, I guess we're done talking to the NPCs because they're all the same. (laughs) Which, to be fair, they were all being controlled. So it made sense 
later. Yes. But yes. I do look back on that memory fondly as well. I guess I was successful, but I made myself seem utterly incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the best first choice, but you know. Yeah, it wasn't a bad little story. I've actually run it again, like I years later, like ran it for some other new players. But of course, with the benefit of having learned how to DM better, it, it wasn't bad. It was a fun little town and, and very like a straightforward scenario. But um, yeah, I still look back on the Chris going, oh, we thought you just didn't know how to role play. <laughs> As a good memory for me. I've got one from a game night recently. I can't believe I forgot about this. My uh, old co-workers were having a, a game a game night and I ran werewolf for them. Ooh. And I, try, I tried out a new mechanic where whoever dies first, because the game is such a bloodbath, and you, you're excluded at that point, can decide the scenario for the next game. So one of the scenarios that they chose was basically a reality TV show, think like Big Brother. And and so there were, were great narrative description moments of, you know, uh, camera effects and cutaways and just commercial breaks and when people died they got to have their little uh cutaway cam where where they acted all dramatic you know just that reality tv show overly dramatic the confessional where they're like talking directly to the camera like and at that Uh, time i was totally thinking how awful it was that i was killed (laughs) while while throwing shade on the other players at the same time oh yeah the shade (laughs) is of course that sounds great i I love i love being a shady player so that sounds fantastic and there was a mean girls uh joke thrown in there and then one of the players on the spot said on Wednesdays, we wear wolf. And that was really special. (laughs) Good, but terrible. (laughs) Yes, I approve. Chris is like, as as local pun master, I I will allow this. (laughs) I'll allow it. That does sound pretty fun. Did the werewolves get away with it in in the reality show? That's the only one where the players actually won, and it was uh, a really close, dramatic finale extended episode. A ton of people died all all at the last bit because the werewolf cub died, so then the werewolves got to kill two people, but one of the people they killed was the hunter, so the hunter pointed at someone, and it happened to be the last werewolf. Oh, man. So there was one player left. So it was a ratings bonanza, is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes. And with plenty of lawsuits, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Of course. Yeah. That's a great story. Thank you. Thank you. I good. hadn't heard that one. So. No. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tony, you've had time. What you got? I mean, the most recent one was where we were all on the ship, uh, an airship, heading up to the Cloud Giant Castle. Well, we were going to a meeting with Count Nimbolo. It seemed legit. No, it totally seemed Except like a we trap. we were all like, this is totally a trap. <laughs> he was our friend. A trusted NPC is like, guys, the cloud giants are working with the villain. And then you get an invitation from the cloud giants, come to our cloud castle. We'll send an airship for you. (laughs) And then the villain is on the the ship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the villain casts a prismatic sphere around himself. Do you remember what triggered that? Chris saying, why does this feel like a trap to the villain? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Totally called him out on it. Who's just like... All right, cool. Nope. <laughs> no, it's up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I really didn't want to do this because I kind of know what Prismatic Sphere does, but my character's a fighter barbarian, so I raged and walked right into the sphere. Hit every single layer. And you succeeded. I made every save, because again, barbarian, so deck save with advantage. And I have a Forple Sword, and I rolled a nat 20 <laughs> on the first strike. And then he was dead. Yeah, from the DM side, I custom built this really cool NPC villain who was going to do all sorts of fun stuff. Um, And he cast one spell. Tony's character just 
ran through his shield and cut his head off. <laughs> he, he just runs through the ninth level spell like it's nothing. Just it's boom, saving boom, like boom, boom, seven boom. different times. <laughs> Two of those saves were exact DCs. Too. Yeah, it was a DC 18. It was no slouch of a DC. And you kept, but you're like 18. I'm like, yep, passes. Yep, yep. That too. Wow. Yep. It- just the, the worst part, like the scary part for me, was I just barely succeeded on the one that would banish me to another plane of existence. That would have taken our, our campaign in a whole different direction. It would have. Uh-huh. Yeah. The stakes were very mm-hmm. high. It was a high risk, high reward sort of choice, which is perfect for Tony's character. That's kind of what he does. Yeah. Well, it's funny because as characters, we have no idea what this spell is. And nope. at this point, I don't think we ever will know. We're like, oh, well, it was just kind of a little barrier. It was a little unpleasant. It hurt real bad. I just tried to ignore some of it. Well, keep in mind, you quartered all of the damage. Yeah. With the damage quartered, I still took like 40 points of damage. Yeah. That means that was 120 potential points of damage. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, I just realized you're two for two on Vorpal beheading the level 20 casters that we faced. Yeah. yeah. This one might have been a little bit sadder, though. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, it was a great story moment, and I'm not like, re- the only thing I regret is spending time custom building something that was going to get beheaded, but I could have just used a stab lot. <laughs> he's dead. I Nope, I'm not going to fudge it. There's nothing. Nope, I'm not going to. He's, he's dead, dead. He well, doesn't that's have. just because he was only a jerk. He wasn't a legendary jerk. <laughs> <laughs> this, yep. this is true. At least he got to monologue this time. Yeah, he did. A little bit. Yeah, it's true. Bit. I mean, that is that is some comfort, some villain monologuing before the beheading. You know, it's the little things. <laughs> the little things. Take what you can get. <laughs> yeah, it was a great session. I mean, and it was like, when you think about it, pretty epic, you're like on an airship, like fighting cloud giants, and like, it, it was suitably epic. It just ended very, very quickly. Yeah. Yep. Because Tony's character is terrifying. I was still in triple digits. Built for murder. Yeah. But I know you're also like, if my character dies, Rachel's character is going to be really mad about it. (laughs) Yep. Well, my character wouldn't have died then. He just wouldn't be there anymore. Yep. But you know where that would have (laughs) gone. Now to find Uthal. Yeah. She she would never give up on you. She wouldn't be like, well, he's in another dimension. Well, she'd be like, no, we must go and save him. He is our brother. (laughs) It's time for the search for Spock. I mean, Uthal. (laughs) Basically, yeah. I mean, the other option was I become petrified. Still not good. Then they just like tow you around on the airship because now you guys have an airship. That's the other side of this. You now have an airship. We now have an airship. <laughs> We've been talking about wanting this forever. We have been. Nick, do you do you want to share what happened next as to why you have an airship and have no trouble piloting it? Yes. So our new rogue rolled an intelligence check for it, I believe, mm-hmm. and that twenty. Yep. So suddenly. Apparently, in this rogue's backstory, they have practiced piloting this exact year-making model of this airship. Yep. We were saying it was kind of like how in Firefly, how their chief engineer came to be on the ship where, didn't we joke around and say that she had like hooked up with some pilot guy and he kind of explained it? Yeah, and she was like, oh yeah, I learned everything about it. Uh, I'm basically an expert. I've studied all the controls. I get, let's turn around the ship. Let's take this back home. This is our ship now. All right, gang, we're sky pirates. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I I have no one to blame but myself. I am responsible for this. (laughs) You say that a lot, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I like not knowing what's going to happen. At the same time, that means I have to suffer from then figuring out what on earth does this mean now? Because I've been trying to figure out what the final battle for this campaign is going to be like. And every session, you guys acquire some major like benefit that will completely change how that fight would go. This like, is your fault now. I know. That's what I'm saying. I don't try to blame you guys. You did a great job. I, I just was um, 
not expecting that you now have an airship and a giant thunderbird. Basically, you are you would be great sky pirates at this point. So you could always go to the plane of elemental air and just live off the land or live off of the sky islands, so to speak. It's just you guys have fun with that. Yeah, Rachel's character will stay home and <laughs> no, raise plants. But anyways, that was all of the questions that we were going to answer for today. So I guess thanks to everyone who submitted questions. And uh, thank you guys for being here to answer questions with us. This was fun. We have almost all of the original Orenthal cast except Adam today. So yeah, yeah. that's true. Bringing it back to the beginning. But was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. Right after this, we'll be releasing recaps for episodes 11 through 20 for both Rumble Squad and Serviceable Plots. So in case you haven't listened to them, you can catch up a little bit before jumping into episode 21. First, here is Serviceable Plots, episodes 11 through 20. Previously, the party had a discussion before making their way to Scriv's hometown of Veripol in order to meet with his parents, Jack and Jane Whitecliffe. In the middle of the night, after a forced march has caused most of the party to become exhausted, we go to Belinda as she begins to make plans before the morning. Unbeknownst to the party, Belinda had a brief conversation with Scribb's father, Jack, to let him know that the party had arrived in town, and a heads up on what they had gone through since Amaron. The next morning, the rest of the party met the famed paladin Whitecliffe, as well as Scribb's boss, Aldrich Wormstone. It was then that everyone learned Scriv's first name, Shannon, though Akiva promised not to give him too much grief. As they spoke, they learned that there may be a plot to smuggle some of the artifacts out of Silverkeep ruins, and the party was requested to check on these rumors with Aldrich before leaving town. The party made their way down the elevator and into Silverkeep ruins, where Aldrich believes some people may be trying to smuggle out artifacts. They proceeded through the lowest level of these rooms, and tried to determine what this place once was as Scriv recalled his last visit here, somewhat painfully. The party eventually came across another group in the ruins, and Scriv came face to face with Gorvanal, a man who was with him when he had received his injury in the ruins last time. The party dealt with the illegal archaeological operation being run by a tiefling woman named Faithfulness, who turned out to be a low-ranking member of the Whispered Ones a splinter cell group that was famous for attempting a coup on the Vremer Empire over 150 years ago. The party pulled Faithfulness from the ruins and gave her and Gorvanal, a fellow archaeologist like Scriv, over to Paladin Whitecliffe to deal with. The party also learned that the room being uncovered held a celestial, known as the Eye of Adar, who was the reason for Scriv's injury, though it took the time to heal him. After learning that the Eye lost much of its memory and became trapped over a year ago, The party searched the room and found an image of a white staff that looked familiar, as well as shards from a broken crystal. In order to unwind, most of the party went to go see a terrible play by Scriv's co-worker, Biston, while Scriv went to bed early and Valen stayed up to talk with Jack. Theological and philosophical discussions filled the night and following morning, as the party discussed what had happened recently. Akiva, meanwhile, had a discussion with Umbra and though not hostile, the Shadarkai was informed as to the full extent of what it meant when he made a deal with Umbra for his power. Belinda learned of Umbra's memory manipulation, and that he was well aware of whatever Akiva knew. Afterwards, the party discussed what their next move would be, and decided to go and speak with Jack before making any additional plans to leave Veripol. The party made plans to keep the ruse that Faithfulness was still active by creating a forgery of a crystal in the ruins of Silverkeep. Scriv went to see some old friends of his, while the rest of the party spoke to the Whitecliffs, and Belinda reminded Jack of a deal that was struck several months ago. Eventually, the party made their way out of Veripol and arrived at the cave that was to be the drop site for the forgery. After leaving the fake crystal there, 
Scriv heard a scream from the empty cave and soon discovered a hidden passage that led him just above a body that was lying in a pool of blood. The party investigated the cave where they had discovered a dead body, only to find a prisoner there by the name of Ellen. Ellen explained that she had been kept here for some time and watched as a dragonborn conducted experiments on others in the creation of some sort of strange construct. Belinda also learned that there was someone here who could speak telepathically, just like she could, but the party knew that they would need to learn more, and pressed on, while having Zolas keep an eye on Ellen near the entrance of the cave. The party discovered several more bodies, as well as the construct, known as a Fellforge, that had been created here. After eliminating the construct, the party searched the room, and as they did, an illusory wall vanished, revealing a dragonborn with a gun, and a strange psionic woman, who upon eyeing the party, called out to Belinda telepathically and asked if she had sent her. The party made a difficult decision by allowing a member of the Whispered Ones go so that a psionicist could continue to infiltrate the organization. Meanwhile, the party left the cave with Ellen and finally made it to Orenthal. The party learned that they had arrived on a feast day to Arleos and the city was packed with people. As they traveled through, Belinda thought it would be a good idea to get away from the busy roads and the party could go and visit Belinda's father at his butcher's shop. The party had a chance to speak with Belinda's father Roland and learn a little about Belinda, as well as how Orenthal and Solana differed. They then dropped off Ellen at the Erudite Sanctuary, under the care of the head cleric Catherine. While Scriv helped out at the temple to Adar, Akiva and Valen decided to go visit the temples of their own respective deities, Belinda and Zolas discussed the final stage of their job, and Zolas admitted that he was from a noble family here in Orenthal, though he did not enjoy the thought of returning home. After talking about future plans, the pair decided to meet back up with the party now that Belinda had acquired some funds for some future errands. Akiva and Valen spent some time first at the Temple to Nezla, then at the Temple to Karis, where Valen requested a place to stay and meditate on his actions the past few weeks. Afterwards, the party met back up at the Erudite Sanctuary, where Scriv was being reprimanded for arguing with the guest of the temple. Finally, the party did get a chance to enjoy themselves and play some of the many games that were taking place on this feast day to Arleos, with all of them winning some money, as well as Belinda winning the title of mediator in a mock trial, and they celebrated with an elegant meal before heading off to rest for the evening. And now, here is Rumble Squad, episodes 11 through 20. Previously, the party encountered several orcs in the vault of Neverhelm, as they tried to find the source of the cry of distress. Defeating the orcs, they captured one named Glasha, who showed them the path that her allies had taken as they traveled deeper into the ruins. The party encountered a massive wall of flames blocking their path, and feeling that Yadamin would protect him, Orc walked into the fire, and the party watched as he became consumed. The party made their way through the fire, and arrived at a room filled with imagery of weapons, armor, and other strange items of interest. It was here that they faced the spellweaver, Rydot who had captured a half-elven man the party assumed to be Avelios. After a brief fight, and with three of the four orc bodyguards unconscious or dead, Rydot cast a spell and teleported away, leaving the party to recover in the chamber. The party studied the room they were in and learned what they could of the item that they had come here to collect and study. After speaking with Avelios, Orc learned of a hammer that seemed to be dedicated to Yadami, along with instructions on how to craft the hammer, though they were somewhat cryptic. While Leuven studied the drawings on the walls, and Elaine kept the orcs from getting too restless, Nissa took on the appearance of Avantir Anvilik, the smith of Neverhelm, and used the scrying orb to look in on a few people, including Avantir himself, who was apparently still alive, and Rydot, 
who seemed to be working with a figure known only as the Champion. As they removed the orb from the wall, the party were then teleported to the entrance of the ruins. The party finally left the ruins of Neverhelm, where they encountered the Lady of Spirits, who reprimanded them for leaving a hunting trap on her lands. After apologizing, they were escorted off her lands by a strange Shadar Kai woman. After that encounter, the party made their way back to Asenthias while speaking with Avelios and Vashti as they learned a bit more about the Guardians of the Rigorum and the figure known only as the Champion. Once they returned to Asenthias, they sent a letter to the Nephany before finally getting a chance to rest and wait for the response. The party finally had some time to relax as they waited to hear word back from the Nephany on their next course of action. They decided they would take the time to rest and craft making tables, chairs, music boxes, and experimenting with magic items while gathering herbs and communing with nature. The party continued to tinker, craft, and play with animals as they waited for a response from the Nephany. However, an old friend of Nyssa's arrived with her boss as a representative of the Staff Federation at the request of the Nephany. The two old friends caught up as they all gathered to discuss what to do about the artifact when Leuven accidentally let slip the name Vashti while in Asenthias. Leuven was telepathically spoken to and when he didn't cooperate, was struck unconscious, causing the party to revive him and quickly make their way out of the city. As they were about to leave, Evelios's attitude changed and revealed he was being controlled by a strange old woman who threatened the party and gave them a small head start before she said she would hunt them down. The party attempted to flee from Asenthias by heading south in the Rigorum. While fending off quicklings, they made a large trail as they rode a dinosaur lane to get away. Though the party fended off the first wave of pursuers, they attempted to hide in a magically created fog, though found themselves surrounded after already being badly injured. After Elaine was knocked unconscious, the party was escorted to a lone house in the middle of the Rigorum, near Xanthias, where their items were taken from them, and they were locked in a windowless room to await their fate. The party waited and discussed what they should do in their prison, while awaiting further instructions from their captors. Meanwhile, Nyssa was visited in a dream, as Bai offered her a deal of freedom in exchange for just getting close to Vashti. The two agreed to terms, and the party was able to escape with a little help from Demean. They then traveled south, and miraculously met up with Vashti, who had rescued their donkey, Anvil, and recovered Oryx's cart. Vashti escorted the party the rest of the way off her territory, where they then met with Boulder, who offered them a place to rest and recover after their ordeal. The party discussed their goals and plans for what to do in the Rigorum, if they decided to do anything at all. Eventually, they sat down with Boulder, who explained the terrible happenings in the Rigorum. He said that the guardian known as the Champion served the demons of the Abyss and seemed to be trying to open a stable portal to that chaotic evil plane. Meanwhile, Bai was keeping the people of Asenthias blissfully unaware that they were completely subjugated to her will. As Auric expressed an interest in traveling through the portal guarded by Boulder, the Genasi decided to make a deal, and said should Rumble Squad take care of one of these two issues, he would allow them passage to the elemental plane of Earth. The party then decided that they would like to rest for the evening, and come up with their next move in the morning. The party inspected the scrying crystal that they still had in their possession, before learning that they needed to return to Neverhelm to discover the full extent of the item's capabilities. Elaine, meanwhile, thought back on the reason she was adventuring, and kept her thoughts on her family far to the east as she meditated on what she had learned on her journey. Nyssa also had a one-on-one -on -one with Boulder, and tried to learn how much of a threat Bai could be if she did get whatever it was she was after. As the party packed, they prepared themselves for the dangerous journey they would have to make, as they traveled back to the land of the Lady of Spirits, 
and the ancient ruins of Neverhelm. Have you been enjoying the adventures of our characters in Rumble Squad and Serviceable Plots? Or getting into the nitty-gritty rules for 5th edition? Support us on Patreon. By contributing as little as $1 a month, you'll get to hear exclusive content and updates before anyone else. Our higher-level patrons get access to DMs notes, outtakes from our episodes, and even a chance to add an item or NPC to a D&D Raw episode. Yes, you can hear our silly, out-of-character shenanigans, and even cause some of your own by influencing the story. Our producer-tier patrons listen to our audio before anyone else to give feedback and shape the final episode. We want to give a special thanks to our producer-tier patron, Matt Fry, for serving as a producer on this episode. We also want to thank our adventure-tier and above patrons for their support this month. So thank you, Feral Joe, Grimfuse, and a Linux fan. To join this list of outstanding people, go to patreon.com slash dndraw. By joining our patrons, you enable us to dedicate more time to creating episodes. And if you're not able to support D&D Raw on Patreon, we would love it if you leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.